Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. Most of you know that this show is part of an amazing network of podcasts called the That Sounds Fun Network. We love being a part of this community, so we wanted to tell you about another podcast that's on the network called Dadville. Fellow musicians and friends Dave Barnes and John McLaughlin share their journey of life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding on this weekly podcast. You'll get your fill of dad jokes that really are funny, laughs, and heartfelt conversations while these dads and their guests talk about the journey of life and fatherhood. We have both been guests on their podcast, and we have agreed that we've never laughed as hard as when we visit Dadville. <laughs> that is the truth. Didn't they declare you the mayor of Dadville, David? They did, and I'm still waiting for a t-shirt with that title and a logo. Now, didn't they crown you the highness of Dadville? That sounds like a character on Downton Abbey. They did indeed. I love those guys and their amazing wives, and we couldn't encourage you enough to head on over to Dadville. I tell every dad I know to listen, and they always thank me afterwards. It's deep talks and funny thoughts. I love how many moms listen and enjoy insights into a dad's journey, along with the laughs. Episodes release every Tuesday. You'll hear personal stories from other awesome dads like Matthew McConaughey, John Mark Comer, and David Thomas. (laughs) And Ben Rector, just to name a few. Make sure and go subscribe now to Dadville so you don't miss an episode. Sissy, if I were a singer, I would break out into, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters right now. (laughs) Okay, I just have to say, I couldn't tell if you said if I were a singer or a senior. I am a senior, but I want to be a singer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I love that reference, the Pointer Sisters, I yes. Know. You know why I'm so excited? Because we are jumping into a conversation on raising worry-free kids based on one of my all-time favorite books that you have written called Raising Worry-Free Girls. I love this book. So kind, I'm David. so excited we're about to take a deep dive. I love every time we teach a class on raising worry-free kids, I always walk away thinking, This is such important content, and I'm so grateful parents are in this room. And every opportunity we've had to talk about it and how excited I am to get to talk about it today because, as you say in the beginning of the book, you know, the stats on anxiety in kids are the highest they've ever been. And so I don't think we can be having too much of this conversation. Well, we're sure seeing it every day in our We sure are, more than anything here. Yes, absolutely. So why don't we start out by just tell us why you wrote this book. I just want to have an idea of what you hoped to accomplish, what you hoped parents would take away from reading this. I don't know if you remember why I originally wrote the book, What Happened, but we had written Are My Kids on Track in 2017, and I think within the first year that book came out, this amazing man that we have since both gotten to know and love named Jeff Braun, who's an editor. Jeff Braun. Yes, at Bethany House, reached out and he said, hey, I read this one paragraph that you wrote, Sissy, where you talked about anxiety being an epidemic among girls today. 
And at that time, the statistics were one in eight kids were dealing with anxiety. And the average age of onset was eight. And he said, because you're talking about these young girls that it is plaguing, I was wondering if you would write a book for elementary age girls about anxiety. And I think at first I said no, but then I came back and said, yes, but only if I can write one for parents, because it is a conversation we all need to be having about kids and what we can do to help, not knowing that a couple years later, I would write a book that is coming out in August that's for parents about their own anxiety. But at that point, it felt like I need to get some tools in the hands of parents and kids, not knowing, too, that the pandemic was coming, which I'm so, so grateful for. I felt like such evidence of God's timing in that. But when I started doing the research, at that point, for that book, I read 23 books about anxiety, which is too many books for anyone to read about anything. I always laugh and say I was twitching for a while after I read all that. Just so much, such a deep dive into anxiety. What I learned is we had jumped from 2017 to 2019 when I wrote the book, we had jumped from one in eight to one in four kids. Now we're at one in three kids with girls twice as likely as boys to deal with anxiety. And so it really is such an important conversation to be having. Like you said, we're seeing it every day. There's nothing we're seeing more in our offices. Yeah. And yet it shows up so different with different kids, doesn't it? Yes. It's just so easy to miss. It really Mm -hmm. is. I'm talking all the time with parents of boys about how often boys are misdiagnosed with ADHD because anxiety can present with boys as being under-focused, restless, fidgety, the very things we think of when we think about ADHD, and often there is an undercurrent of anxiety that's driving that. So sometimes kids are misdiagnosed. And I so appreciate in the beginning of the book when you talk about two presentations of imploders and exploders Mm -hmm. and how different that looks on kids. In fact, will you talk a little bit about what imploders look like? And then I'll talk a little bit about exploders. Yes, there are so many girls who are imploders. And they're the girls that... As a parent, you go to a parent-teacher conference and the teacher says, I wish every child in my class was like your daughter. And you're thinking, well, you have no idea what she's like on the way home from school or once she gets home. But she is really the model child at school. She's making great grades. She pays really close attention. All of the comments on her report cards are just amazing. And she feels so much pressure internally. And we often don't have any idea, although... At times, I think those imploders can explode a smidge at home, but mostly it's an imploding scenario. And statistically, as we're thinking about what's happening, girls are twice as likely, but boys are taken in for therapy more to deal with anxiety. And I think often because girls who are perfectionistic don't look like there's an issue because they're performing so well, but we're often unaware that the performance is based more on pressure and worry and anxiety than it is just who I am. And so those kids are often going to be kids who have recurring physical issues, health issues like tummy aches, headaches. We go to the doctor. There's nothing that they can find that's the cause of it. But these little girls at younger and younger ages are putting entirely too much pressure on themselves. I've learned so much hearing you talk about how often imploders are turning the anxiety inward and with exploders, it's coming outward. And I would say part of why I think that stat you just shared of where more girls are diagnosed, but more boys are taken in for help is that I think a lot more boys are going to show up as exploders. Now, I certainly see- Girls can be too. Absolutely. All kids could swing between both places and camp out in either spot. But 
I certainly see a percentage of firstborn boys who present as more performing, perfectionistic, and pleasing. Yes. But I would say I probably see a higher percentage of boys who are acting out. It's showing up, again, maybe as ADHD, or they're more explosive even during the day, more noncompliant, not willing to follow through with what's required of them. And I think some of that even is that instinct we've talked about in the ages and stages of just a girl's desire to please, you know, that isn't often as strong in boys. <laughs> I laugh about the parent who told me years ago they refer to their firstborn daughter as the yes ma'am in their family and the secondborn son as the yeah sometimes guy in their family. <laughs> and I think I that's really such a picture like of it. And yes. so often I think more boys are going to fall into that exploder category, which is again, I think a part of why they get taken in for help more often. And we miss those girls who are struggling with anxiety, but look like the model student in the yes. classroom. And I think with both scenarios, we want to think through when's it happening. I mean, that's one of the first questions we ask in our office to figure out what is going on at its root. What are the triggers? When are you most often seeing those explosions? What behavior are you seeing? Yes. That has to do with the emotional reaction. And another significant way we see it is, well, we would refer to as endless questions. And we talk so much about anxiety in our offices with kids being like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. You know, every single one of us on the planet has hundreds of what are called intrusive thoughts every day. Worst case scenario thoughts, critical of ourselves kinds of thoughts. And if we're not anxious, those thoughts are going to come in and they're going to go right back out. If we're anxious, those thoughts come in and they get stuck and they loop over and over and over. And it's not just kids. It is us too. But I think with kids, they will often ask questions trying to get a handle on that loop. And I still remember standing in the driveway at Hopetown, you know, our little summer retreat program with a fifth grade girl. And I don't think I'm exaggerating that she was on the 37th question, asking me about the schedule, which many kids get stuck on, when I realized there wasn't an answer I could give her that she would say, oh, thanks, sissy, never mind, I'm not worried anymore. But they ask and ask, and often it is, what are we doing next? What's happening tomorrow? What are we doing after that? Or you're going out for the night, and they're saying, who's going to take care of me? When are you going to be home? How do I get in touch with you? It's just these questions after questions after questions. And research says we should never answer more than five questions about the same topic. It's not helpful. We're going to talk in a few weeks. We're going to have to hang on for a few weeks to get to what is helpful and what we can do instead. But we don't want to go down that rabbit hole of questions with them. I'm so glad you talked about that because we think we're being helpful yes. and it's actually more harmful. Yes. We're kind of feeding and fueling the anxiety at that Great point. Great way to say it, David. Yes. And I think those kids with endless questions, we can experience them as needy and clingy. Mm. They often are going to- Yes, absolutely. And there again, a lot of girls might meet that criteria more of the time. I often am hearing parents say, it's not that he's as needy, it's more that he's demanding. And mm. so when a boy's struggling, I had a mom say to me not long ago, it's like he creates a hostage crisis. I feel like I'm locked in a room with a terrorist and he has all these demands and he wants yes. to negotiate and manipulate and all these things. And so again, looking for what's underneath. We've talked all throughout this podcast about how all behavior is communication of some kind, and we don't want to just parent the behavior and miss what's underneath. So yeah. we're going to have to lift the hood and make sure we're looking underneath at what's there. That's so good, David. Okay, when we speak, when we do this parenting class, but we talk about anxiety with folks, they often will say, why? 
Why is this such an epidemic? And we talk really about a top five things that we think contribute to it. So let's talk about those. And some are kind of internally what's going on with kids. Some are externally. So if I'm going to kick off the internals, the first thing I would always say is that it has to do with temperament. And we would both say this, that every anxious kid we've seen, which it would definitely rank in the thousands now between the two of us, the amount of kids we've seen who are anxious, every single one of them is really bright. They're really conscientious. They try hard. They care so much. They're the coolest kinds of kids. And it's just that the volume is up too high on all of that caring. They cannot figure out how to turn it down. And that's something I think we both say a lot of times to kids in our offices and You know, it's so fun. I feel like little girls, at least when I say it, will smile really big and say, yeah, that's me, that's me. And, you know, teenagers won't really admit it. But at the same time, I think to understand that it is really a gift in terms of who God made them to be, I think can take away a lot of the sting and a lot of the feeling of something is wrong with me in the Brave book I wrote in the introduction about how I think All adolescent girls feel like, number one, something's wrong with me. And number two, I'm the only one who feels this way. And so to flip the story and make it about, no, it's actually about this amazing part of who God made you to be can take so much of the power out of that for them. I love that. And strong and smart, I talk about how I tell a lot of boys that they have a spidey sense. Those boys who feel deeply and care deeply. You know, it's like, you know, Spider-Man walks in a room and he notices things other people don't notice. And you have that superhero power. But what that means is that you sometimes care too much. You sometimes worry too much. You sometimes overthink situations as well. And so I love when you frame it that way. I think a second internal would be development. And I love you were sharing with me recently a study you found about the confidence level of girls from 8 to 18 and that the research reveals that between the ages of 8 and 14, a girl's confidence level drops by 30%. Yes. And so it's like the stage is set in those moments where a lot of worry could creep in in those moments when she's feeling more unsure, more Mm. unsure about herself, more unsure about the world. And you know what I'd say happens with boys developmentally is that taught before I think about how somewhere around nine to 10 boys begin to channel all primary emotions into one and that's anger. Mm. So everything underneath fear, sadness, confusion, disappointment is going to get funneled through anger. And it fascinates me beyond that, how rarely I will hear boys use the word anxiety. Like it's like they're comfortable with the word stress, but not anxious. And it's feeling a little bit of that sense of, I think, boys have some awareness of more girls struggling with anxiety than boys. And it's like, I don't want to align with that because it feels too feminine is Mm -hmm. a suspicion that I've had at points too, particularly as they get deeper into development that I think keeps boys distance from admitting to the fact that they've got a lot of fear and worry that they carry. And yet I think anger is a dominant emotion. It's a more male emotion that boys feel comfortable kind of embodying. And so I think that nine to 10 shift happens. And then it's like they carry that all the way through pre-mid and late adolescence and everything gets funneled into anger. Yes. What else would you say is in play? Well, shifting to the externals, the things that happen, we talk so much about how we are living in this age of pathologizing everything. And we use all these really big words to describe ordinary experiences in some ways. And one of the words that I think is overused today, I think you would agree with this, is trauma. Yes. That it is easy to label everything as trauma. 
And I'm thankful that somewhere along the way, I don't know who the researcher was that started calling it big T trauma and little T trauma, at least to say there is some degree of normal trauma that we go through. And we'll talk about this in the help section of the book when we get there. But I love John 16, 33 that talks about in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We are all going to experience trouble. And in fact, what the research says is that more than two-thirds of us, by the time we've reached the age of 16, have experienced some type of traumatic event. And if we were going to take a poll right now of everybody in this conversation, I think we would certainly say that that's true. And the great news is that the research says that most children go through traumatic events and are stronger and more resilient for them. That is exactly what we see evidence of every single day in our office. Yes. The concerning piece of it is that we don't treat kids like they're going to be stronger and more resilient for the experience. We treat them like they're going to break. Yes. And that we've got to step in and pad the walls and do everything we can to protect them. That's not helping. I love that. And we're going to talk about how to help. I hate that we're teasing this and it's a couple weeks away. We promise we're going to get there. We're setting the stage for good stuff to come talk about what else? Well, we can't talk about the externals without talking about technology. We just can. And the research is telling us that teenagers who spend five to seven hours per day on smartphones are twice as likely to report being depressed. Yeah. Let me read that again. Teenagers who spend five to seven hours per day on smartphones are twice as likely to report being depressed. Technology also contributes to anxiety through social comparison, lack of an ability to regulate emotions, increased social anxiety from avoiding social interaction, fear of not being connected enough, and cyberbullying. In fact, I feel like we could just go on and on and on in terms of talking about its impact, but it's why we want to encourage parents to go back and listen to some previous episodes we've released where we talk about setting healthy limits with technology. Mm-hmm. Go back to that episode we did with the great folks at Bark Technology to remind yourself of what it looks like to walk kids safely, responsibly into this animal of technology. Yes. What else would you say on externals? Well, the last thing I would say is just the immense pressure kids are feeling today. It is so important for us to be aware of it, of how early it starts. They are inundated. And there is a psychologist that we both really respect named Leonard Sachs, who has written a book called Girls on the Edge. And he has this quote that I think is so powerful and that we're seeing evidence of, again, every day in our offices. He says, more and more boys are developing an Epicurean ability to enjoy themselves, to enjoy video games, pornography, food, and sleep but they often don't have the drive and motivation to succeed in the real world outside their bedroom. More and more of their sisters have that drive and motivation in abundance, but they don't know how to relax, how to have fun, and enjoy life. For many of these girls, each accomplishment is only a stepping stone to the next goal. Oh, I see it every single day. I do too. The amount of girls who are not okay with the hundreds, who are pushing for 102, 104, who are panicked, not about getting into the right college, but I talked with some girls just this week about getting into the right middle school. There's so much pressure on them at way too early of an age that kids need time to play, downtime. We just had a conversation with another psychologist we love and respect named Dr. Madeline Levine in January. If you have not heard the episode, go back and listen today. She talked about the importance of PDF with kids, play, downtime, and family time. None of those things hopefully involve pressure. I love that. 
And, you know, speaking to the quote you read, in 25 years of doing this work, I have never seen as few boys wanting to get their driver's license. Yes. When I was growing up, I didn't know a single guy who wasn't chomping at the bit to get his driver's license. And I think it speaks to, you know, I'm just content to kind of hang out and play video games at this point. I've never seen as few boys wanting to ask a girl to a dance, as few boys wanting to get a part-time job and earn some money. And I think it is everything you just spoke to in reading mm. that quote. And my great concern for those young men moving into adult manhood and all of how I think that's going to translate relationally and vocationally too. That's why this conversation is so important. Well, let's talk about some practical things. Let's give them three things to take away. So where would you start? I would say the first place to start is I love when you talk about the two most common strategies are escape and avoidance. The easiest places to land, the least helpful places to land. And I sit with parents every day in my office and we talk around that temptation that I think is great. You see kids struggling in an extracurricular experience and you want to just take them right out. It's too hard. Kids having a hard time getting in the door of school in the morning. Maybe we should just not be in school. Whatever it may be, we're moving toward avoiding or escaping the hard thing as opposed to helping kids baby step their way toward the scary thing. Yes. So the second thing I would say is we want to normalize the worry. I think that's part of the problem is we're stepping in and here we're calling it anxiety. And we haven't said that that anxiety really exists on a continuum. But if we're honest, all of us feel some degree of worry slash anxiety, not clinical levels, but some degree of it every single day. And we, again, are pathologizing that. So to normalize worry and anxiety for them, actually, I have had two girls in the last week do this to me, walking out of group on Tuesday night where she said, to see, I was taking a really hard test and my hand started shaking when I was doing it. What do you think was happening? What do you think was going on? And I had another one recently who did the same thing. And she said, I got nervous when I was going to sleep and I started breathing deeper and faster. And she said, what do you think that was? And I said, I think you were feeling really nervous. And she said, oh no, I mean, I think it was, I was breathing really fast. I could tell my heart rate was, was getting faster too. And I said, yeah, I think you were feeling worried and stressed in that moment. And she said, well, I've had friends talk about anxiety attacks. Don't you think it was maybe an anxiety attack? And I don't want us to jump to that because if you're in the middle of a test, your hand might shake. If you're laying in bed worried about something, you might Breathe faster. Your heart rate might go up. It happens for all of us all the time. And when we jump to, you're having a panic attack, you know, I think that takes that normal everyday anxiety and pathologizes it. And it makes them feel like it's a problem to be solved rather than something I can learn to work through. My heart rate increases every time we start a podcast. Me too. (laughs) As it should. Yes. Can I throw one more out? Please. Every week in our offices, we are being asked the question of what's the best thing I could do to help my anxious kids? Mm, yes. And our answer has always been, and I think always will be, first and foremost, manage your own anxiety. Mm. And I am reminded of that myself. You know, we use therapy dogs here at our practice at Daystar. And when I was training Owen, my yellow lab, going through the process with him, it is a very long time (laughs) intensive commitment. And I will never forget at the end of all that training, all that time, it was time for us to head out to our first site visit. And our instructor said, okay, if you don't remember anything else, 
when you walk into the room and we all were like leaning forward, what's the one thing we need to pay the most attention to? He said, you don't remember anything else. Remember that anxiety travels down the leash. Mm. And I remember it just kind of stopped me in my tracks, like not any skill we'd learn, not a particular practice on the third night. In fact, it had even less to do with Owen's skills and abilities and more to do with mine. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, if this dog can pick up on my anxiety when we walk in a room, how much more are our kids picking up on that with us? And so we can't pay enough attention to our own anxiety because it travels down to them. Mm. So managing our own anxiety is really the greatest gift we could be given to the kids we love. Maybe we need to say that again. If you hear nothing else from this episode of our podcast, remember that anxiety travels down the leash and that help is on the way. Yes. We'll be back soon. And now Melissa is going to bring us some timeless truths. David said, and Sissy ended with anxiety travels down the leash. Well, let me add, anxiety travels down the leash and up the leash and down the leash and up the leash, down and up, down and up. Not a timeless truth, but what I have experienced with my old English sheepdog, Blueberry Pancake Trevathan. When we would get in the car, usually I was running behind, so I had some anxiety, which she quickly caught. Anxiety travels down the leash. When she caught it, she began to herd. We're traveling, and she sees all kinds of cars, which she sees as sheep. And then we would go over a bridge, or she would see the interstate, and the sheep were running wild. Well, if you've ever been around a sheepdog, that is their mission in life, is to round them all up. Her anxiety increased. My anxiety increased. Anxiety travels down the leash and up the leash, down and up, down and up. I tried everything. I tried a thunder shirt. I tried treats. I threw them back to her as I put her way back in my SUV. I tried oil, tranquilizers, pillows, cushions, seat belts, everything to change her. Then I asked for help, and I went to a trainer, like a counselor for a dog. And I said, she is high anxiety. Blueberry wants to herd everything, everywhere. So the trainer began to work with her. And then Shirley, the trainer, called me and said, Blueberry does great with me in the car. She doesn't herd cars, cows, sheep, anything. She's so quiet. If I say, Blueberry, sit, she sits. Melissa, the problem is you. Anxiety travels down the leash. And in my case, back up, down, up. We both had so much anxiety. And I realize as I talk to Shirley, I'm usually running a bit late. And by the time I get in the car, I have lots of anxiety. Or I'm facing a time where I'm speaking or doing a podcast. And so I have anxiety. Blueberry was a very, very smart dog, and she caught on very fast, and she wanted to protect me. Sissy and David in this podcast are talking about understanding, specifically understanding anxiety. Well, I started thinking about the word understanding. 
want us to look in Proverbs 4, where we're pretty familiar that uh, Proverbs is talking about wisdom, and it's talking about knowledge, but it's also talking about understanding and how there's a difference. In Proverbs 4, the father at this point is talking. He says, listen, friends, to some fatherly advice. Sit up, take notice, so you'll know how to live. And in the NIV, it says, pay attention and gain understanding. He said, take hold of my words, down in verse 4, with all your heart. And then verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. In the message, write this at the top of your list. Get understanding. Throw your arms around her. Believe me, you won't regret it. Over and over, we read about how important it is to have wisdom. We know it's important to have knowledge. But right in the middle, I believe, is understanding. When I was young, and I still tend to do this, I could learn by memorizing, by copying someone else. That sounds like I was cheating all the time. I mean, my parents had me trying to learn how to play the alto saxophone when I was like in the fifth, sixth grade. And I could copy the person next to me. Whatever he played, I could play it, and I would copy from him. I couldn't read music, but I could copy so well that I could even go to contest and win a superior rating. But I didn't know how to read music. I didn't understand what I was doing. And so often, I think that's what we're doing. We're gaining knowledge. Yes, okay, I got it. And then we want wisdom, which usually tells us how to do it. But the understanding so often, I think, is missing. The understanding is talking about the meaning of it. It's being able to visualize It's being able to understand how this impacts, as Eugene Peterson says in Proverbs 4, so you'll know how to live. And I feel like this is what I needed to do. I feel like this is what all of us need to do as we gain knowledge and as we desire and pray for wisdom that many times we're missing that link of what it means to comprehend what is the meaning of what I'm doing, what I'm hearing. The understanding is your part. It's when you begin to comprehend what you hear. It's when you begin to visualize the meaning, experience the meaning, and then what to do next. Sissy and David can help you with. But God also gives. As you begin to pray for wisdom, Also, pray for understanding. In Psalm 119, 33, it says, God, teach me lessons for living so I can stay the course. Give me insight so I can do what you tell me. My whole life, one long, obedient response. And in the NIV, verse 34, it says, give me understanding so I can obey it with all my heart. Understanding comes from your heart. It's where there is meaning there. It's when I begin to learn that Blueberry was anxious because she was a protector. She was a herder, and she was trying to take care of me. 
Begin to think about the needs of your child. What are they longing? Begin to understand where their anxiety is coming from. Begin to remember your own experiences so that you will understand their anxiety. And the knowledge that you've accumulated will begin to take on a new meaning, a new energy, and the wisdom as to what to do next becomes a lot more natural to us. When it takes heart, the understanding takes meaning, then we have compassion. And in that understanding, we can look at someone with anxiety and we have patience. And our words are more from the heart than from our minds. And of course, it's the two together. But I love exploring more about what it means to understand. Proverbs 4, verse 7, in the message, write this at the top of your list, get understanding. And then I love the picture that you have of this, which again is part of understanding, is having a visual. Have a vision, a visual for your child, for who she can be, who he can be. The visual that Proverbs 4 says, throw your arms around her. Believe me, you won't regret it. Throw your arms around your child. Understand, I love that visual. For me, it meant to throw my arms around Blueberry. It meant to relax. It meant that we began to have enjoyable walks where I wasn't having to hold the leash so tight but that I could do like the trainer said. I could relax. And I could look up, as it says in the Psalms, to lift up your head. And I could see the trees and the birds in the sky. And every once in a while, I'm pretty sure I saw Blueberry smiling. Pretty sure you will see your children smiling as you relax and enjoy. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to click the follow button in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. To learn more about our parenting resources or to see if we're coming to a city near you, visit our website at raisingboysandgirls.com. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.